Welcome to Beyond the Brochure, an NYU graduate admissions podcast. My name is Lena Sternoff, and I am your podcast host. I'm a graduate admissions assistant, as well as a grad student myself here at NYU. On this show, we share all types of resources, anything from navigating your application process to things such as financing your graduate education. So let's dive into today's episode. Today, I have with us Tom Sirinides. He is a director of International Student Services. We are going to be tackling everything related to the Office of Global Services. And I'm so happy to hand it over to Tom if you want to briefly introduce yourself. Hi, thank you. Great to be with you today and great to be able to speak uh, with your audience. Uh, I've been at NYU for 11 years uh, in the International Student Services role and the Office of Global Services, so I'll be happy to speak briefly. And if you have further questions, of course, OGS is always happy to help with those as well. Wonderful. Thank you, Tom. So that leads me to kick it off with our very first question. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of services that OGS offers? Sure. So the Office of Global Services, OGS, deals primarily with immigration matters. So we have International Student Services, which I am director of. So we help with folks coming to the U.S., with everything related to their immigration documents, visa, I-20, DS-2019, work authorization, as well as cultural adjustment and, and programming and activities. Then there's global mobility, or we call it outbound, students who are going to NYU sites abroad or going on other study abroad experiences, students who need the visas to go to those countries and all the documentation related to that. And then finally, we have our scholar services, which helps with professors, researchers who are coming to the U.S. and they may be coming with a, a number of other variables that students wouldn't have. And so they help them with that. And we all together are the Office of Global Services, which helps with, we say, the movement of people within the NYU system around the globe. I know how helpful you guys are. I know you take phone calls, emails, consultations, and I'm also a tour guide on campus. So we always mention you guys at one point in the tour. So just want to give you guys a shout out for that. Diving in a little bit in more detail, there's questions a lot of times about applying for a visa, whether that's the I-20 or the DS-2019. Tell us a little bit more about that process. Well, the I-20 and the DS-2019 are paper documents that are issued by NYU, by the Office of Global Services, for government purposes. And it's basically certifying that you have an academic reason to be at NYU and you've shown that you have financial means to be here. You take that to a U.S. consulate or, or embassy, and then the consular officer would review everything and ask you some other questions and, based on that, issue you the visa. And then the visa is what you use to enter at the port of entry, the airport or the land crossing. And then the I-20 or the DS-2019 is what shows how long you can be here because it's showing how long your program lasts. So if your program ends early or your program goes longer than expected, we would adjust it. But this is an initial description. And we issue these government documents. We can send them electronically, which is one of the good things that have come out of the whole COVID remote work experience that now they allow us to send them electronically, but they still are a legal document and they still do require taking care with them. And so we issue those to students who are coming. We also update them for students who are already here. And we even provide updates to students who are done being here, but are working after graduation. And we can talk more about that when we get to that part of the discussion. The follow-up question on that is when in the process should they be filling out this visa or immigration application? So the application for the paper that we issue, the DS-2019, or mostly the I-20, they're, they're two different categories of students. They're actually a little different on the backside, but on the front 
what you're dealing with, it's just a, a, another piece of paper and it, the process looks much the same to the students. We would suggest applying as soon as you're admitted to NYU and think you want to come here because the government now has said that you can start the visa application process up to a year in advance. So typically there was, I believe, a 120 day window before. So we would be issuing things in the March April, May, for people who are coming in August or September. Now we could issue things in February, January, December. We can issue it as, as early as somebody has been admitted and they decided they want to come here uh, because you do need to use the right document for the right school that you're planning to go to. So we were happy to talk with you through that and that can get a little complicated. But And then you go to the embassy, you're going to get an NYU visa. And so then when you enter, you need to go to NYU. And if you later get accepted to another school and you decide that you wanted to go there, then there's a mismatch. And so you want to be sure. But as soon as you're sure, you can start. And for some people, that's really a great help because some countries, the wait times for visas are very long or the wait times for an appointment are very long or the process can be very long. Other countries, really, it's a very quick process. And so it's not as much of an issue. But still, you can apply as soon as you're sure that you've been admitted and that you want to come. We'll be starting to do that. But typically, I would say for people who are coming in January, maybe like September, August, that's when they would start at the latest communicating with us. And people who are coming in the September, probably March, April is when they would start communicating with us. So I would say at least three months in advance and up to a year in advance, you could contact OGS and we'll be able to help you. Is there typically an interview involved in that? It, it will vary by the country. It will vary by a lot of variables, actually. So I would say we're happy to talk with you about your situation. So students who are coming from countries, there are some countries where, where the U.S. doesn't even have a consulate or an embassy. There are countries where like, it's a very easy and, and, and like you can do it with just a drop-off process. So yes, there's a lot of countries there's an interview, but the interview might be anything from 30 seconds to two minutes. It's really a very quick judgment that these consular officers are making. They're not going to be reading a lot of paper or asking you a lot of questions. They're going to ask you questions. And generally what we say is always tell the truth, answer the question, and stop talking. Because it's a very quick interview. You just want, if they say, where are you going to school? New York University. What are you studying? I'm studying chemistry. What degree? PhD. Stop. Just like short answers are good because they don't have a lot of time. And the more you say, the less information can be squeezed into that time. So you just want to quickly answer, truthfully answer, briefly answer. And then, as I said, in some places, it's not even an interview. In most places, it's a very short interview. That's such great advice, Tom. No need to overshare here. So that's such yes. a good uh, takeaway for listeners. So thanks for adding that in there. So my last question about this step of our interview is about possible delays, possible rejections. People are afraid of that or might have experienced that. Is there a couple of quick words you want to say what happens in those situations? Well, actually, I just went to a webinar last week by the U.S. Department of State, who are the, the department that issues the visas. And they said they issued more visas in, in the past year than they have in any previous year, that they've been really training their consular officers on prioritizing processing students, that if a student has a very, like I say, apply three months in advance, but maybe for whatever reason, you're doing it three weeks in advance and your program is starting very soon. Once we give you that I-20 or that DS-2019, on that shows the program start date, their officers have been told to prioritize based on the program start date so that they will prioritize students and they'll prioritize students who have a, a very upcoming start date. So I would say 
If you are, though, experiencing delays, contact us. We, we can't always help. The, the consular officers have said they don't want to see a letter from the school. They want to see the date on document, and the date is there. So really, you can, you can request an expedite just based with what you have from us. A letter from us isn't going to do any more because all we're going to do is tell them what's already there. But that being said, some countries, there are very long delays, and some individuals may have very long delays because of something in your history that is somehow raising a flag and they have to look and say are you this person and can we let you in or are you that person and we cannot let you in and sometimes it can be something as simple as your name looking like a name that's on a list or something as complex as your country being a country that's on a list and so they have to look at those things and figure out can they let you in can they issue you the visa and then those delays can take anything from a few days to a few months thanks for explaining that in great detail. I appreciate that, Tom. My next question that's top of mind here is arriving. Once you've gotten your visa, you're on your way to NYU, New York City, what are the first steps that maybe international students have to take that domestic students don't? Is there anything that they should first do as soon as they arrive? Something you would recommend keeping top of mind for a checklist? Yeah, we do actually have a checklist. And we every semester, we send out like I think it was a series of 10, but it keeps growing at maybe 11 or 12 emails. We send one a week. And if you enter the cycle late, we have them all archived on our website so that if you missed week one, two, three, you'll get week four. And then we'll say, oh, and for the past weeks, go look at our website. And it's telling you sort of the things you need to think about, things like safety, housing, banking, and financial things. So it's like the topics that are are related to just creating your living environment as well as your academic and your immigration concerns that are, of course, important. But I'd say the very top thing you want to do is you want to be sure that you have all your documents with you in hand, paper, when you're traveling. Don't have them in your checked luggage and don't just have them on your electronic device because what if your battery runs out? What if your device breaks? What if? Have a piece of paper, print it out, have it with you. Obviously, if last minute emergency situations, electronic is better than nothing, but it shouldn't be your first choice of how to have the documents. Have everything in your hand printed out and ready to show the officer. It'll get you through much quicker. Second thing is once you arrive, you do need to report to OGS and we have an arrival form that we'll send you link information on, but be sure that you do report that. You have to report to us within 10 days of when you enter the US. And then we have to report that to the government within a, a a 30-day window. And there are 6,000 new students who arrive every fall. There are 2,000, 3,000 who arrive every spring. There are several thousand who arrive for summer courses. There's a lot of numbers so that you getting it to us within 10 days helps us to get it to the government within 30 days. We're under a quick turnaround time and we want to be sure that everything is there. And then in addition, once you report it to us, we report to the government. Now that means that if you have an emergency and you need to travel and come back again, you won't have trouble at the border because it's already been reported your first entry. And that first entry being reported is important because the government says, we know we gave you a visa and we know you came in the airport, but did you show up at school? And when we say, yes, they showed up, now that takes away any question there and it makes future travel not a problem. I would have not known uh, so many intricate details are intertwined. So we talked a little bit about the pre-process arriving, you made it, and probably a lot of international students now want to think about earning money, working while they're students. So my first question is, what are the regulations around international students working on and off campus? Is there a certain time frame or anything you want to explain depending on the visa they're on? So 90, probably 98%, 99% of our students are F1. So I'll talk about F1. There's a small number who are on J1, and I'll, I'll get to J1 next. So for F1 students, on-campus employment is considered 
they call it incident to status, it means you don't need any extra authorization. You're an F1 student, you're allowed to work on campus. And so they would just go through the normal process, going to the Wasserman Career Center, looking at the handshake, going to a particular office and saying, hey, I would love to work here. Can you hire me? Because it never hurts to put a face with a name as opposed to just sending your resume in. Whatever you do, they would go through all the normal processes that any domestic student would. The one perhaps limitation, which NYU has anyway, is that international students can only work 20 hours a week on campus while school is in session. So fall semester, spring semester. During the breaks, you can work more hours if your employer allows it, if NYU allows it, but there is a 20 hour per week limit when school is in session. And for international students, on-campus employment is in considered anything you're doing for NYU. When you're working for NYU, easy. When you're working at NYU or for NYU, but not at NYU, come see OGS. We can help you figure out, is this or isn't this allowed? But on-campus work is fine. Off-campus work is restricted. It has to be related to your academic program. And generally, it needs to be something which you cannot do, like an internship or an off-campus activity related to your program. You have to be in the U.S. at least two semesters before you're eligible. So fall, spring, okay, you could do your internship in the summer if your program has an internship, but you can't just work anywhere uh, and you can't work until you have those two semesters. And then there, there are different ways. One is called CPT, curricular practical training, which is related to a course. And the other is OPT, optional practical training, which is a special request that you make to the government. It takes a little longer. It costs a little more, but it doesn't require a course. And if you're interested in working off campus, though, it has to be somehow related to what you're studying, either through the curriculum, through the course, CPT, or through applying for the OPT, optional practical training. For the J-1 student population, their work authorization is a little different process. The J-1 program, they like a lot of paper. Everything requires a letter. So to work on campus, you need a letter from OGS. It's a simple letter. We will issue it. We could issue it in, in a day. We certainly can issue it in a few days when there's a lot of volume. But basically, you do need to contact us every time. And, and that's for every job. So if you're working in one lab and that ends and then you're working in another lab and that ends and then you're working in an office, that would be three letters, one for each job. And in addition, the J-1 does allow what's called academic training, which is work that's related to your field of study off campus. And they just have one big category called academic training, which is both like combining the CPT and the OPT. And so you can start that right away if it's appropriate to the program you're in. So that would be asking a question of what is your program. So OGS will be happy to discuss all this with you. But basically, for a J-1 student, anything you do on campus or off campus needs OGS approval. And for an F-1 student, on-campus work, just like any domestic student, off-campus work has to be related to your coursework. Thanks for making that super clear. I followed along and it makes a lot of sense. I've been hearing classmates talk about these things a lot next to me and it sounded like gibberish, but now I, I really see the, the logic here. So thanks. I wanted to also briefly mention here the Wasserman Center for Career Development at NYU. I know that they have workshops for interviewing for jobs as international students, for networking, for international students, writing your resume. So I just want to also give a shout out there that when you come to campus, you officially have unlimited access to this Wasserman Center. They also have webinars and online resources, one-on-one -on -one consultations there. Yeah, Wasserman is a great resource. And this kind of leads me to my last big questions for you. I'm only telling listeners now so that they don't hop off. So we're going to talk 
really quickly just about financial management, a little bit about the banking system in the U.S., the health insurance, and then housing. Those are three things that might look a little bit different if you're not a domestic student. So just to preface, those stay on these three topics are also critical. So Tom, financial management for international students, anything you want to advise students to think about? Sure. So one of the things that relates to finances in the U.S., there's something called a social security number. And it was created to deal with financial matters, but now it's used for so many different things that are vaguely connected to finances, like getting an apartment or a cell phone number. But that's not what it was created for. And so because it was created related to employment and taxes, you can only get that number if you are employed. And unless you get an on-campus job, you're, you're not going to be employed. And even if you are employed, you got the number yesterday or last week or, or, or it's, it's really not, you're not going to have much of a history. So they're looking at it. They're going to see nothing. So long story short with banks, New York is a city with a lot of immigrants, which is an advantage because banks are used to dealing with people who don't have a social security number or who don't have a history. So you could say, I don't have a social security number. Is there anything else I could give you? And there is. You, they can open a bank account using your passport, using your visa, using your other documents. They just need something to know who is this person who has a bank account. And by law, the easiest way to do it is the social security number, but it, it's not the only way. So one is if you go to a bank and they won't help you, go to another bank or come to OGS and maybe try another branch of that bank. It may just be somebody who's very new and doesn't know that there are other ways. Second thing I would say is the U.S., a lot of people use credit, and I know a lot of the world uses credit, but just be very careful because credit is a very easy way to get yourself into trouble. And especially when you're dealing with a new monetary system where everything might seem so cheap or everything might seem so expensive or everything might just be so confusing and suddenly you don't realize it, but wow, you spent more money than you should have. And now what do you do? So just be careful, especially when you're getting started. Be cautious. Also be cautious because the, the truth is you might go into a store and see something for $100. And then you go to a street vendor and you see the same thing for $10. Wow, I could have saved $90. That would be great. So just give yourself a little time to get oriented and to figure out where you want to be doing your shopping and what you want to be doing so you don't overspend. And then the second thing is just to be cautious with shared rent because New York, there are so many people who are sharing apartments. And you just want to be cautious that you're not signing things that are going to obligate you to pay the rent for everyone if the other people in the apartment don't come through or things like that. You just want to be cautious about signing things before you know what you're signing and just to be, be careful with that. So I'd say banking, credit card, signing things and social security number. And we do have workshops on that. We have web information on that. But just to keep those things in mind that OGS wants to help you not only with the immigration, but with that aspect of adjusting to the culture in the U.S. Those are really great tips around the financial aspects. And New York is an extensive city, so it's good to come in with that mindset, being extra cautious, reading the fine print, and to save money on groceries. Yeah, look around for the right stores in your neighborhood. And you mentioned housing a bit. So this is the perfect way to talk a little bit more about New York housings, obviously, uh, there's a few options. You can live on campus, off campus. We have actually a whole other episode in this podcast. Find it about uh, living in New York as a graduate student. But one specific question around the guarantee process, that means somebody will help maybe sign a lease because you need to earn a certain amount. I've heard that there are some companies that are servicing international students as a guarantee I know it can be a challenge because basically the landlord wants to know that they're going to get their money 
and you have no or very little history in the U.S. So it's a very hard combination of those two things. How can they be sure? I would be very cautious. Some landlords say things like you have to pay 12 months rent now uh, if it's a 12-month lease. And, and that's a lot of money to pay. And that's also a lot of money to pay because what if something goes wrong? You're, you don't find the roommates or the roommates you found drop out, fall through, or whatever. You don't get along with them. What if you move into the apartment and you discover that it's a terrible place to live and you want to move out, but now you already paid 12 months? There's a lot of sort of anxiety that can come around some of those situations. So I would say looking in advance. Another thing is be very cautious because there are scams. There are false things on Craigslist and other similar bulletin boards, advertising apartments that don't exist or renting the same quote unquote apartment to 17 different people getting all their money and then somebody already lives there and you can't live there. Just be very cautious with if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so if you have a friend who's already here or a family member or somebody who can go physically look at it, by all means do. If you can't, then be very cautious. Deal with reputable uh, entities. Like I know there are dorms in the city. Some are single sex or they're affiliated with a certain organization, International House. There's a Marco that's run by the Salvation Army. It's a women's residence. There's a lot of residences, which are like dormitories that are privately run. And so they might be a little more expensive, but maybe that might be a place to start, especially if you're going to be here for a few years. You might need to start in a place which is a little more expensive, but okay, you're sure it's a solid place. And then you can start looking for your second or third or however many years you'll be here. Or maybe somebody who's already here, like I said, and there's a place that they have and somebody's moving out and you can move in. That's good too, because you have some human connection that can validate it because there, there can be a lot of issues around signing a lease. So definitely, if you can't find any way, any connection to be sure it's solid, let OGS know. We'll see if we can help you to connect to those kinds of resources where there might be something a little more certain that you're going into. You mentioned about making sure that it's real. When I came to New York, I just stayed in an Airbnb for a few days and I went and saw the places myself. And when I went inside my lease, I went to the realtor's office and I saw their website. I read their reviews. So the more you can do to confirm before you hand over any check or any money, if you have the luxury to do that, definitely try and take advantage. And I will also link the NYU housing website and center, which has a few links to other uh, trusted sources such as realtors that they have worked with. And so that leads me to my very last question. All NYU students are required to be on a health insurance plan. That could be the NYU student health insurance. But if there are international students that want to be on maybe their parents' insurance or other relatives that are out of the country, is that a possibility? The Wellness Center has an office that looks at health insurance and reviews whether it meets the requirements for a health insurance waiver. So NYU has a health insurance offering, which meets the requirements because there are federal requirements for health insurance for J students, very specific requirements, and they're listed on our website. But then the same is recommended for non-J students, for F students, because some of the things that are listed, one of the things is you want to be sure that this insurance works in every state. And there have been a lot of students who've been opting into things that are offered by the government, by the state of New York, because it's quote unquote free two concerns around that. One is, as an international student, when you come here, two things you have to show. You have an academic program, an academic objective, and you have enough money to pay for it. And if you said you had enough money to pay for it, and now you get here and you're using state insurance that's free, that's paid by the state, that could be a problem for you down the line. And we don't want you to do things now that will lead to a future denial of a work visa or a green card or an O visa or one of those things that you may be 
thinking of, or maybe you're not even thinking of, but later your plans change. So one is using free state insurance is really not advisable because it puts you vulnerable to a risk. And in addition, government policies have changed. So under one administration, they're saying it's fine. Under the next administration, they're saying, no, deny the visas. Under the next administration, they're saying, oh, yeah, actually, it's fine. Things are very volatile right now in American politics. You want to be cautious because the fact that somebody says right now it's not a problem doesn't mean it will never be a problem. So that's one thing. Free state health insurance, be cautious of. Two is a lot of the insurances that are offered, you want to be sure that it has things that are suitable for you. So you're arriving maybe 30 days early. You can stay up to 60 days after the program ends. You want to be sure you're covered throughout that time because God forbid something happens. You want to be sure you have health insurance coverage because in the U.S., healthcare is very expensive. The health system assumes that you have insurance and they make the prices based on that. So it's just very expensive. Normal people can't afford to pay for their own medical treatment. That's just the sad reality. So you need insurance. The second thing is you want to be sure that it's going to work in your setting. You want to be sure that it's going to work internationally. And a lot of insurance is designed for domestic use. But you may be traveling over the break. Maybe you're going home or maybe you're going not home. You're going on vacation to another country that's nearby because it's so nearby. You want to be sure that your insurance is working there. Maybe you're going on an alternate J term, an alternate spring break trip, with, or you're going on some trip with your class. You're going on a conference for your program. You want to be sure that your insurance works there. And then the last thing, really, God forbid, tragedies happen. And you want to be sure that insurance will cover you if you're a victim of a serious accident. God forbid if you die. Insurance for international students includes really morbid things like repatriation of remains, which means they will pay to fly your remains back home. I never wanted that to happen to any of you, but that's what I'm saying is that insurance that's designed for you is designed for you. And using just a cheap, generic insurance is really putting yourself at risk. So you can waive and use one of them, but don't just use any old insurance. Make sure that it has international students in mind in the coverage that's provided. Really well said. Thank you, Tom. That is all the time we have today. I have learned so much. I guess I'll just hand it over to you and see if there's any last words or any one last thing that you think I might have just not asked you and you wanted to add. I think you've covered all the big topics. Great to have this chance to speak. And definitely the Office of Global Services, if you are coming to NYU, we are your office. You don't need to wait until you show up here or even until we issue you a document. You can call us or email us. If you just do contact us, OGS, NYU, you will find our contact us page where you can send us an email and we'll respond in a couple of days or as we're able. You can even make a, a Zoom appointment with our advisors. Once you have your information, we can meet with you by Zoom. And if you're physically in New York, we'd be happy to meet with you in person, but most people prefer Zoom. So we're looking forward to having you all join us. We're looking forward to a great year ahead or years ahead for each of you. And uh, any questions, please do contact OGS. Thank you, Tom. And I will link that email in the description. Thank you. Thank you. So that wraps up our episode for today. If you found this useful, please write us a review and rate this podcast. And if you want to ask us any further question, you can email our grad admissions office directly. That email is gradadmissions at NYU. Edu. My name is Lana Cernoff. I'm your podcast host. Thank you for tuning in.